0: Hello everyone and welcome to Disability Dish, the UML Perspective. This is episode six. My name is Janelle Diaz, I am an Assistant Director in Disability Services and I'm co-hosting with... Hi everybody, Jody Regens, Director of Disability Services. Awesome. We're so excited to have you all here. I'm going to have Jody talk a little bit about our initiatives.
1: So one major initiative for the Disability Services Offices is really just to find ways to openly and actively discuss how we can support our fellow disability community members, whether in the university, outside networks, or in our everyday lives. It's important and and impactful to make a major effort to reduce stigma and shame around disability. We wanna flip the script to highlight the uncountable strengths that can show through various disabilities. So among many initiatives that we are putting out through our office, this monthly podcast just provides representation and discussion around various interesting topics on disability. And just a little
0: disclaimer, this is just a discussion about you know, our thoughts and um, opinions and perspectives on the episode topic. So we're going to kind of get right into things. Um, Today's topic is the field of disability services. And we have some wonderful UML experts here, our disability services team. I'm (laughs) going to have each of you state your name, role at the university. Um, and your relationship with the word disability, if you feel like you have one. And anyone can start?
2: I suppose I'll start. So uh, my name is Brandon Drake. I'm the Associate Director for Disability Services and the Manager for Assistive Technology. Uh, And my relationship with disability would mainly be an ally.
3: Um, I can go next. I'm Lauren Tornatori. I'm an assistant director here in disability services. Um, I would say my relationship with the word disability, I've tended to use it just to help other people understand what it is that I do in my career and kind of the people that I work with. So um, I would say that that's really it for my relationship with that word
1: awesome we also have a special guest with us our beloved administrative assistant Ida Phillips who is here as a, a listener an observer and a cheerer from behind the scenes so she's here at last. Thank you you <laughs>
0: Awesome. So if someone can start by telling us about your experience prior to entering the fields of disability services, and if you saw yourself as being a disability service staff member from the start.
1: No particular order, just kind of go for it.
3: Um, I would say for me, it was, so my background is in psychology. So, um, When I was in school in psychology, you know, at first everybody kind of makes it sound like you're going to be, you're going to be a doctor and you're going to meet with everybody one-on-one and talk about their feelings and that kind of thing. Um, And so when I, when I was first, you know, in undergrad, I thought that that was going to be my path. Um, And actually, because I went to a really small school, I went to Merrimack for undergrad, it was really hard to get into grad school, Um, I had the grades, but I didn't have like the name recognition or the research background that people were asking for to like get into a PhD program. Um, so I, my parents had moved to Connecticut at the time and I moved down there, um, because I didn't have enough money to live on my own. And they had a, uh, there was a master's program at Southern Connecticut state university. Um, and when I went into that master's program, my intention was just to prove to larger programs that I could do grad school level work. Um, and so as I was doing that, I started taking classes. And I was also, um, I, I found a job at Haskins Laboratories, which is a research laboratory focusing on speech and language. Um, and through those two things, I ended up, I, I, I really liked the field of assessment, in terms of like kind of figuring out how someone else's mind works, and then how to intervene. And so when I was when I was doing that work, I was like, oh, I really like this. Well, how do I do this as a psychologist? I didn't really understand. Um, and I happened to take a class. I had an elective that someone had suggested that was a uh, like a basics of school psychology. And I was taking it with two people who practiced in the field and then taught at night. And that's kind of how I fell into it um, was really with that. It was just kind of like, oh, this sounds cool. And um, it meant that I had to go to grad school all over again. So I went twice <laughs> in a row, uh, which most people don't do that because, you know, it kind of seems a little silly to do that. Um, uh, but that's kind of how I got on that path was, you know, I, when I was working in research, I thought it was really interesting, but I felt really uncomfortable with the, the families that were coming in. I was doing research, uh, both in the areas of dyslexia as well as, um, kids who had autism. And this was really early when like, you know, those things weren't really being recognized by schools much. Um, and although I thought it was really cool to work with the students and families, the part that made me uncomfortable was that I was just collecting a bunch of data and publishing it really for myself. Um, that there wasn't a whole lot of like practical application of what we were doing because we were doing it like so early on. So um, when I when I kind of got into school psychology, I figured out oh this is a really good way where I can take data and figure out how a person how their brain works and what it is that they need and how to take that and apply it immediately to a school setting so that someone could feel a little more successful in that setting. So that's kind of how I, I fell into the field, uh, like a short version of that. (laughs)
0: Love it. Awesome.
2: And, uh, I'm kind of similar. So, uh, my focus before getting into the disability field was technology management, so um, I wasn't 100% positive what I wanted to do with it when I was getting into uh, into college, but as I learned more and more, um, it's funny, it, It's I know it sounds boring, but I was always really interested in like supply chain logistics and i always kind of <laughs> pictured myself working in a warehouse with a bunch of boxes and streamlining work processes and you know using technology to do that um and this was like before like amazon really exploded with their with their enormous warehouses um
0: amazon uh, great idea
2: I know, right? Exactly. Uh, if if I only knew. Um, but uh, but yeah. So th- that was what I went to school for. But while I was at school um, in in my grad work, um, I applied for a position for an assistive technology um, uh, assistant uh, in the disability services office at our school. And at the time, I didn't know anything about the field, um, and very few schools even had that position full time uh, as as someone that focused on assistive technology. So it was a bit bizarre because there was a lot of students that really needed it and they didn't really have any professional person that had a really great understanding of it. So it was basically they were looking for a person that liked technology that was willing to learn new things and was wanted to problem solve. And that's what a lot of it was. And it got me very, very interested in in the field because I got to work one-on-one with students, students who had uh, difficulties accessing their school that I had no idea that they were even going through until I met with them and then coming up with solutions on, on how to get them access. So it was really kind of a a blessing to fall into that because it wasn't something I was looking for it's something that kind of found me um so a lot of my career from there has just been training and learning and and figuring out the different changes that are happening in the field Um, I bounced around a, a couple different schools um doing this kind of work and I've been at UMass Lowell for about six years now doing it
1: Seven, I know Lauren's got a a signal for seven and I was about to correct (laughs) you too because we've been using the word six.
2: The time flies,
0: yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Janelle, why don't you share your story? I think you and I should share stories story.
0: Yeah, um, so I'm actually a double river hawk um, for UMass Lowell. Um, And so in my graduate program um, or while I was going to grad school, I actually did a couple of different um, positions in the nonprofit area. So I worked for a nonprofit called Northeast Independent Living Program, um, where I actually was um, a facilitator in their transition to adulthood program, where it basically provided employment for kids transitioning out of high school into um, like either college or just like the workforce. And I support them in finding, um, and these are students with disabilities, sorry, just for disclosure. Um, And I provide them the the different places, placements, as to where they had the employment opportunities in the summer. So I did that. And then I did some therapeutic mentoring um, for a nonprofit in Everett. Um, So I always kind of liked being kind of like the social services. World of things. Um, And as I was graduating, there was an opening as a counselor in disability services part time. um, And I applied and I got the position. Um, I started off in psychology, though, um, and I did community social psychology for my grad um, program, which is basically looking at nonprofits and the services that they are providing and trying to tailor them to the people they're serving. Um, so I kind of also fell into this position to some extent, although I did have experience of working with people with disabilities prior. Um, but yeah, so I've been here for, so if y'all have been here for seven years, I've been here for eight.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, you know, the
1: theme kind of presents itself as for most of us. Um, There, A lot of us didn't have an intentional path to get to the roles that we we have. And I am the same way. I do think there's some really neat stuff uh, right now for students who are in higher education and are pursuing graduate careers where they can actually intentionally seek jobs in disability services um, among higher ed. So that's been a really neat development. But for myself, it's pretty similar to with Lauren. I was a psychology major at the University of Maryland. And I, you know, they are a very researchy institution too, and they wanted uh, everybody to have a PhD in order to do anything in life. Um, So I thought that that was a institution. Um, I wanted to be a marriage and family therapist. Um, And right after college, I moved up to Boston and um, I was working in group homes with teens that were in state custody, um, a girls group home and a boys group home. And um, I... Was applying for PhD programs in marriage and family. Um, and the only one that I got into at the time was in Indiana. And I um, couldn't figure out how to move to Indiana with sort of the circumstances of my life as they were. And so I decided to stay in Massachusetts. And then I was like, yeah, I got to figure out what to do then in that case. Um, and so I reflected a little bit and, and had found that with the group homes that I worked at in the teens, like the the relationships of the teens I'd really gravitated to were those that also had a learning disability or an autism spectrum or ADHD, and were struggling through GEDs or things like that. And I came across a position at Lesley University to work with students with moderate to severe uh, learning disabilities in a college experience program, not a degree seeking program. Um, And it also would have provided me the opportunity to get a master's degree. And so I took that and I still was going to be a marriage and family therapist, just a master's level one. Um, So I got my master's in professional counseling. And after that, I did continue with disabilities. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be a counselor with disabilities. That's what I'm going to do. So I did school counseling for a little while at a high school for kiddos with learning disabilities. Um, and I, uh, did some, uh, clinic and private practice therapy work, and usually was seeking clients that had some type of disability. Um, I was not a very good private practice business owner, so I uh, hated asking people for
0: money directly,
1: (laughs) Um, and so so that was just not working well for me, Um, and, you know, I kept finding myself really wanting to be back with students who were developing their own voices and transitioning for the first time to adulthood. Um, And I really liked working with the seniors at the high school that I worked at um, and helping them sort of start to have those conversations. And so I decided I really wanted to get back into higher education. And so um, I feel like I finally found what my true work and passion was at that point and um, have worked at a couple of institutions um, and have uh, worked in higher ed disabilities and. I'm, this is where I am. So it's been, you know, I do finally feel like all the things found their way to synthesize into something that really makes sense for me. So that's been, that's been my journey. And I've been here not quite one year, only here since November. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to move on to our next question. The next questions won't all take as long as the first person did. Um, but so, in terms of the fact that we have a disability services office um, and that we're a disability services provider, um, what, do, what do folks feel that is really the, the importance of our role either in a university or a community setting? Why are there disability service providers out there? You know it's weird. Somebody just go. go.
2: So- uh, I'll jump in, sure. Um, so, I mean, obviously, um, we've kind of had that that core important role of of giving access to our students academically, so they can participate in the class as, as well as anybody else. Um, but it definitely goes beyond that uh, for our office. So, you know, once we make sure we we've, we've got that button down and, and we're we're meeting all the students' needs and and following up with them throughout their time here. Um, it's really important to to weave this kind of service throughout the university. So it's not something that we want to be centralized to our office where any disability issue comes to us and we try to fix it. It's something that, you know, if a faculty member has a student with a disability and a problem comes up, they should be having some of the tools that they can to fix the problem on their own or, or address the, 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 the issue. Uh, same with staff. Um, and then also doing things uh, systemically that are going to try to eliminate some of those problems from even happening. So when we do have that <clears throat> extra time, uh, focusing on those kind of things that are gonna support students in other ways uh, is such an important thing to do. Um, and we we try to do as much as we can.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would say kind of, I feel like I could speak to this on like the student end or like the receiving end of services. Um, just, like, in my personal experience, like, a while, like I went to school in, or college in 20, 2007, um, and back then, people didn't even want to have a conversation with me um, because my needs were so vast, um, and even though I had the grades, um, you know, I was top in my high school class. Um, and I was going to get into so whatever school I applied to it's just most extent. Um, mm-hmm. And they still were like, "Nope, you can't talk to us until you um, are fully accepted, um, even though they understood that I had greater needs. Um, so I think it's such crucial work because we are literally providing access to opportunities. Um, and greater opportunities, allowing people to have access to education means that they will have greater access to other roles in life, right? Um, And be able to be more independent and be more successful at the end of the day. Um, And it just provides kind of equity and inclusion, which is important in all aspects of the world. Um, So I just feel like just being able to provide, students the ability to have access to things that they should already have access to provides them even bigger opportunity for afterlife or after college life not <laughs> after college life not afterlife. maybe after life maybe it's, right? it's all maybe, gone after, know. Who knows?
3: after college life <laughs> Um, I would say beyond like the, the compliance and the aspect, you know, the, the access piece, you know, those are legal pieces of our job that like at, at base level, that's what we have to provide. To me, I think a larger role in our office is to really provide a safe space for students where they feel seen and heard as who they are. Instead of having to cover up a part of themselves or to feel embarrassed about something, you know, I think that that's something that probably all of us have experienced like behind closed doors is, you know, students saying things like, well, you know, all my roommates get these papers done so much faster than me and they, you know, and I don't understand why and I'll say well you know. Not all of them are struggling with their reading or struggling to get through, you know, and, and let's look at some technology or things that can help you with those things, you know, that comparison piece. And so, um, you know, and I know all college students experience that in terms of feeling inadequate or, you know, feeling like they're comparing the Selves to everyone else. Um, but I do think that's like a big piece of our office that sometimes, you know, in that whole compliance thing gets overlooked that like there's a, a person side to what we do too in terms of helping people feel understood and not, and not having to explain themselves, not having to explain everything in their life experience or, you know, this is why I do this this way or this is why I think this way. Um, you know, that for all of us, we have experience with various populations and we just kind of like, quote unquote, "get it for, for lack of a better word. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect at understanding. Um, but I think it I do have the skill set. I'll speak for myself personally in terms of like asking questions or correcting myself or just meeting someone where they're at. Um, it, you know, it, and not always focusing so much on grades. There's so much in college where we're we're focusing on like you need to get this grade and you need to do this, you know, in order to get this degree and this fancy piece of paper. Um, and that's important, but I think it's it's equally important to make sure that someone feels you know seen and heard and has a sense of belonging. Um, you know, and especially when disability is such a, a, a large part of someone's identity, we're really able to do that, um, and, you know, and hopefully through larger work with the campus of kind of helping other people pick up the load in terms of universal design and acceptance, we can move where it's not just us, it can be a campus as a whole.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like we all were, I mean, I'm not surprised that we all sort of agree, but like, you know, that we um, our role is sort of a voice of the people and sort of a mediator um, among all the various parties. We often will tell students, your job here is to be a student and our job here is to kind of make sure that that's as smooth as can be, you know? And I think that people who work in the international student's office will say a similar message, you know, students who, uh, people who work in the multicultural office or uh, the LGBTQ, Um, you know, center, you know, they're going to say the same thing. Your job is to be a student and we're going to help kind of just like make sure that's as smooth as can be. So that's sort of, you know, our angle on that, whatever, whatever that means. Um, I often feel like we also get to be sort of a soft and safe uh, experience for students to kind of roll out their, this piece of their identity into what we'd say the real world is, like the working world and the job world and sort of learn how to kind of navigate some stuff that may be bumpy and may not be easy, um, but also doesn't have kind of the protective bubble wrap that perhaps their childhood had or didn't have, you know, I think it depends on on the person as Lauren was saying and sort of what baggage they might be bringing, um, what everybody's sort of identity is. Um, and so, yeah I think you know we we often say that our hope is that our someday our job is obsolete and that everybody just understands how to work with all different types of people and all different types of students and you know that's sort of the goal but um but you know in that way, I think you know we we just are right in there with that you know helping this whoever whoever our customer is um you know get whatever their needs are, be the voice of them if they're not able to tools and As Lauren said, it is true that you know the core of our has to be making sure that this institution upholds you know the the laws and and is provides equitable access to. to, yeah.
0: yeah awesome and so I feel like Lauren touched upon kind of the stigma right a little bit in terms of a student being able to feel like they can express who they are, Um, but. Do you guys all feel like um, what is your view on display stigma and how does being in the display services office impact this? Um, also, has there been kind of any change over time? Do you feel like because um, I know we all have been here, aside from Jody, for quite some time? Um, so, have you seen kind of this work change? Um, I would say in
3: terms of stigma, I feel like when I worked as a school psychologist in K-12, I think it's kind of, for lack of a better word, more obvious when someone has a disability because Part of having services, unfortunately, is being pulled out of your primary classroom. Mm -hmm. um, You know, to experience something in a small group or one on one setting in order to help that student gain skills in an area. So I feel like a lot of times when students come here you know I usually joke with them that, like well you're not going to leave the office with a tattoo on your forehead from me that says like I have a disability um you know and a lot of students really do fear that they fear they're going to be singled out they fear that other people are going to know and and are going to think less of them because of that um so, uh, you know, I do think, I, I do think that, like, the, the actual fear of stigma or being seen as less than, um, you know, is something that still exists. Um, uh, you know, I haven't seen in my lifetime a big social movement towards acceptance, like we have seen with other marginalized groups, um, whether that's various groups, uh, people of color, women, or people who are part of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, So I am still kind of waiting for that uh, Mm -hmm. to happen in terms of like it just having a movement where, you know, having things be more acceptable, you know, things like including captions, things like using microphones, making sure that curb cutouts are there, um, and also having multiple ways for people to access a curriculum or something. Um, And so, you know, I do think we kind of have a long way to go. In terms of here at the university, I feel like if I'm being honest, it kind of depends on the semester. You know, I, I'm not going to mention it here, but I would say there are certain departments that are easier to work with than others uh, in terms of kind of seeing uh, students with disabilities as a part of their classroom rather than an an accommodation letter kind of be an extra thing that they have to do. Um, You know, and I do understand that from the faculty side of kind of getting stressed about like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Um, But what I would say overall is that, um, you know, we have had some success in terms of rolling out some different trainings for faculty and, you know, at least for us to be able to know, who is an ally here on campus and kind of who's already on the cutting edge of providing some things that students need without them having to ask. Um, So I think that's, you know, a positive thing. you know, that that to me is moving in the right direction. Um, You know, we did just get news that we're gonna finally have more accessible buses here on campus. Um, So like, that's a big thing, Um, you know, so hopefully we can, you know, in, in the construction that's happened on campus in terms of adding more elevators and things like that, I think those have been positive. Um, And also even just little things like more of the use of Blackboard so that students who have executive functioning issues don't have to like chase down a paper syllabus that they lost, you know, the second day of classes (laughs) that you can just re-download it again. Um, So I think those things are things that are moving in in the right direction. Uh, You know, but ultimately I always have like a pie in the sky, like I'd love, I'd love this to be, in terms of disability inclusion, I would love to see a statement, you know, from the, the UMass system president um, about inclusion of students with disabilities and, uh, and really having some larger system wide things so that, um, you know, we can really get on the same page as a system in terms of what we're able to provide and, and who's welcome to all of our campuses.
0: Hmm. I completely agree, Lauren. There's a lot of good work being done, but there's a lot more that could be done. Always. <laughs> yeah, in any
1: something, right? Brandon, you're muted. You got nothing? Okay, Brandon feels like Lauren said it all. In- I <laughs> killed it. <She> crushed it. Sorry! <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean,
0: you know, it. this is...
1: It's a, every time we have one of these podcasts, the the topic has complexities with it. And this is a complex question and comes with like kind of a lot of different layers. I think, you know, having been in the field now for almost two decades and kind of seeing progression, I mean, I think what we are seeing, we are seeing more and more and more and more students access higher ed than they ever were before because things are going really positively. You know, the school, the high school that I worked at um, after grad school actually was originally founded in the 70s for students with dyslexia um, because public schools didn't know how to work with kids with dyslexia. And uh, they had, they believed that kids with dyslexia, you know, it wasn't a matter of intelligence. It was a matter of sort of a different way of teaching and having different tools for them to access learning. and. By the time I left, they had a a complex proposition on their hands, because in the, in, you know, in the last decade and more, public schools were like, we can do dyslexia, we got this, you know, um, which was pretty cool. And so the private school had a different kind of set of concerns about who their population was. But public schools were like, that's no problem. You know, ADHD, that's, that's no problem. You know, we can, we can work with lots of students with lots of um, you know, learning differences and, and, you know, students who were blind and, and deaf had, it would have had nothing to do with their intelligence to access higher education in the past, but they wouldn't have been able to access it because they just simply couldn't uh, access the material, the physical material. And, and that's not an issue anymore, which is great. It, 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 it re- involves people like us and involves work and involves communication and collaboration, but there's a lot more access, which is very cool. Um, and so that part is great. Um, so we have a higher level of students. Um, I feel like there's a tiny movement of students who are now entering college that are like, yep, I have a disability and I want to talk about it. Um, and I want people to know and I don't care who doesn't know. And I want people to understand it and accept it. And I think that that's, it's a slow, really slow ooze of a shift. But, you know, it's a shift that like, I feel like I'm latching on to and I'm going to try to like sort of pull apart and kind of, um, I don't know, turn the volume up on it a little bit, because I think that, you know, in general, our overall way to support students and ways for students to feel welcome here and feel like they can be supported here by faculty, the staff, their peers, is for us to, you know, I, I have a broken record, but, you know, the the reducing the stigma and making people feel like this is a totally fine place for you to be and you can be who you are um you know and there and as lauren said a lot of other categories um of of sort of different identities you know have had greater efforts to kind of work on that although i'm sure they would sit here and say that there's it's not there it's not even close to where they want it to be either um but um but you know i think that that's that's what we can do and then classes will be smoother and learning will be smoother and success uh, and towards graduation will be smoother because everybody just has a better experience overall so um that's sort of what i'm you know seeing and hoping
0: yeah definitely so we all kind of talked about um our you know time in disability services but has there been anything that you feel like you have learned as a disability service provider
2: Uh, yeah, I I mean, everything that I've learned, I've learned as a disability service provider the last 20, uh, 10 years or so. Um, but I mean,
0: specifically,
2: (laughs) sure. Uh, I I would say, uh, you know, and that's true with a lot of fields, but there's just so few things that are really black and white in, in the disability world. Um, I mean, like, you know, a, a part of our roles is, is reading disability documentation before we even meet with a student and it gives you a kind of a general idea of, of, you know, what might be going on in their classes and what they might struggle with and where their strengths might be, but you really don't understand until you meet the student and you really, really don't understand until they take some college classes and they come back to you and let you know how it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so just the, 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 the follow up, the the constant progression through college, and you know, meeting a student where they're at and supporting them where they're at, um, that is probably the the biggest thing that I've learned is that you know you're not going to be able to you know slap a solution on it the first day you meet somebody. Um, it's it's really an evolving thing, as a as a student goes, which which it should be, you know, that every student is going to progress differently through college and they're going to learn new things, they're going to hit different challenges. Um, so just being there as a support when when it's needed.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I always say that, um, you know, you can have the same disability, but your needs can be completely different. So, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, there's so much nature and nurture that can, mm-hmm. that can play into, you know, um, and just with, and play into how that package presents when when somebody's in front of us.
3: I would say one thing that I learned coming back to higher ed because I had worked at Mount Holyoke before coming here um, years ago is um, when students were coming to me at first, like coming here to UMass Lowell is I didn't realize how many students ha- didn't really have a grasp of what their disability was. Um, so, you know, and as somebody who worked in K through 12 and and had students in high school where they were in the IEP meeting, they're in the 504 meeting, we're explaining those things to them. Um, I think seeing that range of people who, Uh, we're kind of feeling lost, just feeling like, well, I feel like I'm struggling or I feel like there's this challenge that other people don't have and I don't understand what it is. Um, And so that has been something that I've learned how to navigate over time in terms of like taking that information and helping that person understand what it means for them in their day-to-day life, like taking it out of what the testing is and what these numbers mean and those types of things, but having more of a casual conversation about, you know, well, this is what, this is what the documentation says. This is this doctor's opinion of you, but let's break it down in terms of like what you actually feel from your day-to-day life and kind of using that to help a student be able to kind of grow into themselves as an adult to then explain that to other people. Because, um, you know, we don't. There isn't a lot of information out there, and I think that sometimes students get really lost in in trying to understand what the identity is, especially if they've been diagnosed later in life. You know, a disability is something that you can, you know, kind of come into at any point in your life, and so I think helping people understand that and navigate that was not something that I anticipated I would be doing um, when I took this job, and so kind of learning how to do that as I went along. Um, has been helpful. Janelle,
1: what about you? What have you learned?
0: Um, I feel like I've learned to just be okay with students not always registering right away. Um, I think that sometimes you just feel like, why wouldn't you register with us? We're going to help you. We're here to support yeah. you. But understanding that everyone accesses things in their own time and for different reasons. Um, So I think I've just come to learn that, you know, it's okay, like students will come to us when they feel like it's their time to come to us and just trying to think of ways to ensure that students feel welcomed um, and accepted to the best of our abilities and to feel like we are a resource and that we are a support to them.
1: I'm trying to think of what I've learned that is in addition to to, uh, um, for me. Um, I think I'll take it a little bit broader in that I think when we're working with someone who's resistant and that could be a student, that could be a parent, that could be a faculty member or a staff member, somebody who's resistant, um, I have learned that if i approach it from the lens of most people are intrinsically good people and want to do the right thing or do the good thing but it, there's fear that sort of drives people and drives resistance um and if i remind myself of that then that person isn't like a bad guy in my in my head and that person isn't trying to be a bad guy or you know difficult or whatever um but that maybe they don't have the tools or no one has really reassured them of what's going to be okay or how that there's somebody that's going to be supporting them or things like that. And that, you know, so it could be a student who's resistant to registering with us or resistant to change or talking to somebody about their disability. It could be, you know, you know, a faculty member who's resistant to providing certain accommodations in the classroom. That would be really helpful. Um, You know, and I think that, if it, it it comes with my approach on sort of, they they're, they're icing on that is resistance. but what's like underneath like a, as baked in is sort of this like this fear of doing the wrong thing or it being overwhelming or opening a can of worms that you know may make things a lot ultimately more difficult, you know, like whatever it is. Um, and so trying to kind of pull that back so that then, people can feel safe that, you know, our role is to help mitigate this and help um, feel comfortable progressing in whatever, whatever they are, whatever their need is. Um, That's taken me a long time to learn though, because I think I used to get kind of emotional or impassioned when somebody felt like they were being a jerk <laughs> and you know I would just get mad and you know go home and have imaginary conversations with myself about what I could have said and those kinds of things <laughs> and um, and so you know that, that took a long time for me to kind of okay you know what People are ultimately good people. There's something going on
0: here. And I feel like that speaks just to like having conversations like this and having conversations with students, faculty, and staff to show them that it is okay and that there are support networks and that we are an office of resource for everyone, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To make everyone feel like they belong and that they can provide these supports to students as well. Yeah, we can be the part of the students, but the only way for that to
1: work is to work with everybody.
2: Right, and you typically only have to have that conversation once with that that person and then they kind of realize what's going on after that, yeah. usually, yeah. and and then, then you get maybe an ally after that. So I know.
1: that's the hope. Usually, right? sometimes we really can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, We don't really even have on here like a question around like success stories but if we think about success stories some of those were those occasions where maybe it was a very resistant faculty member to a student with a very specific need or something like that and they felt like that's a whole extra thing for me to take on like I don't even have time and all that kind of stuff. and by the end, you know, they're the one, you know, sharing to the next instructor, like, oh, it's actually fine, and the disability services office has your back, and they're gonna help, and the student's really great, and you know, and so like that's sort of those the success stories that we we latch on to.
0: <laughs> so I'm gonna jump around a little bit, but um, if you had a magic wand, what would your ideal setup or offerings of disability services be?
1: super broad.
0: So I just feel like we were talking about the other stuff. So I feel like we can answer this. Yeah.
3: Well, no. And I think my answer would probably be a really simple one is that we, I'm working in another field. (laughs) <laughs> you know, really that like the the inclusion is already thought of, you know, I've thought about times where, you know, I've, I've kind of utilized tools from other schools that have like really great checklists of kind of like if you're going to have an event, like yeah. these are all the things that you can think you should think of, you know, and that that mm-hmm. re- came from a disability office and then was Put around a campus, and then I had taken stolen, kind of borrowed, um, and then trying to do some stuff here. <laughs> but I think, I think the ideal thing would be that instead of us being the phone call that someone would just talk to a colleague next to them, you know, or, or go online or that, you know, that teaching students with disabilities is not an extra elective that someone takes, but rather is baked into the curriculum that when someone's hired as a professor, there are, you know, things through HR that people are learning about how to, you know, reach a wide variety of learning styles, you know, that we don't need to be here that I can do something else and something different, you know? So mm-hmm. that would really my magic wand would be that that like there's there's just full inclusion there.
1: And so your other field would be like a professional food taster for like,
3: <laughs> yeah. like nice restaurants. Yeah, stuff. I mean I love to do that. I love, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what else I would do because there's always the the pull between like something that you'd like to do and something that would be a career. Um but yeah I mean the possibilities would be endless for me but I I know if I don't if I didn't have to be the go to to answer those things and and it was just baked in um you know that's my magic wand fantasy for sure.
2: That's, that's yeah kind of the the inside joke with our field is we <laughs> yeah. hope to work ourselves out of a job. So that's that's exactly it. So yeah no I I, I echo that if if that's the ideal thing is you know, and it it takes a lot of work and it takes time, but weaving that stuff in and, and making it a, a systemic kind of belief and, and, and knowledge base that, you know, students with disabilities are going to be in your class. They are going to be using every service on campus. Um, we need to know how to serve them. And it shouldn't just be up to four people in an office. It should be up to the campus community as a whole. And uh, yeah, so no, I, I completely agree with that.
0: So when there is no disability services, right? Cause we have our magic wands and we made that change and everything's included. <laughs> and uh, we're
1: all millionaires who <laughs> patented some kind of amazing
0: idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say you um, are in a different role somewhere else. What is something that you would take away with you um, and transition with you into a different position?
3: I think the thing I would, I think the thing I would take away is kind of um, learning how to speak up to say things that are uncomfortable, sometimes that people don't necessarily want to hear, um, and kind of taking out of it that like I'm being a wet blanket or I'm being negative, but rather that like I'm trying to utilize my voice to help other people that maybe are afraid to speak up. Um, so I think the easiest example of that would be like the use of a microphone because a lot of people still, you know, really don't like it. Um, you know, I don't think my voice is like super great to listen to either, but it's not about my comfort of my voice. It's about ensuring that everyone in the room can hear. Um, you know, so there's definitely been times we've been in meetings, you know, where somebody's at the front of the room and, or they just yell out, you know, well, everyone can hear me, right? Um, you know, and most people can, but it's also that assumption. And, you know, why fry your vocal cords when you can just use a microphone to amplify your voice so that everyone can hear you? Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, it sometimes it feels uncomfortable, or I feel like, I, and maybe this is, you know, being a woman that it comes off as like, quote unquote, bitchy or something, you know, to kind of speak up and say those things and ask people to pause and use the microphone. Um, you know, but I think that that's something that I would take away is just remembering that, you know, I have a voice and I can use it and I don't want to substitute for someone who is a part of that community, but how can I, um, you know, put myself sometimes in an uncomfortable position to question or ask, for something so that, um, you know, someone else doesn't always have to be the person in the room doing it.
0: I feel like kind of like the opposite end of that as well is it's okay to be uncomfortable because that has been a topic for us in our past podcasts of it's okay to feel uncomfortable. You may not know always what the right thing to do is, but you can always ask. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and kind of going on that is, you you kind of have to remind yourself, I mean, at least I do, you know, before I got into this field, I knew very, very, very little about disabilities in general. Um, Like, how does a blind student read their textbooks? I didn't know. Um, And you don't know until someone teaches you. And I mean, that's just across the board with all kinds of disabilities. And just, you have to kind of remind yourself when you're working with somebody that, this might be a brand new thing for them um that mm. you know they don't have that knowledge base that you built up over the the 10 years um and to kind of go along with that is the the thing i would take away personally if i moved on to another field or something is is just knowing that you know when i when i'm working here i am very aware of of a student's disabilities because we have all their documentation and backgrounds and we've talked with them about it specifically but Anywhere you go later on, you're going to be working with students with disabilities, and you just don't know what they're going through on their own day to day, and what kind of things are going to be helpful. So being able to kind of keep that stuff in the back of your mind. um, And and just always kind of consider it if if someone doesn't seem to be picking up on something as well or is struggling more than the other folks that you're working with, like maybe that's something that is worth exploring. Is 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 there anything going on in the background um, that you could be doing differently to help that person um, with whatever whatever kind of uh, activities going on?
1: I think I would take with me that um, I really appreciate working in a field that is not stagnant and that is never boring. Um there's if people ask us like what's a day like in your office and I've never been able to answer that question. Um, you know, a typical day. And so um, you know, I would want to continue that. Um, you know, and again, like I could you know, continue to be an ally for for disabilities and to be a um, a voice of people who have a harder time you know speaking up for themselves but I do think for me I would want to take with me that you know the answer should never be like that's how we've always done it um and that's just how it is because we're humans and we're evolving and our the world is sometimes absolutely spinning around us in terms of change and um and so um, you know, just making sure that we're always revisiting things, you know, we've we've spent a lot of time, like, just looking back on forms that we have, and it may seem really tedious and boring, but we've come up with so much valuable stuff that's, like, it just isn't, like, relevant anymore right now, and, you know, it was only two years ago, maybe, that, you know, it was, um, and so um, to to kind of got to keep moving and keep informed and keep up with um kind of what's going on
0: I'd probably say for me just um it's okay to ask for help um I think that being vulnerable um kind of like what I said beforehand um but being vulnerable just on someone who is needing support um I think is just I feel like being on both ends having been on someone um, and the end of being of accessing services and then being one to provide services. Um, I think that I have learned that it's okay to ask for help when you need it.
1: Hmm. And I, I don't think like on the vein of disability stigma that we're always kind of talking about, you know, I think that um, it is helpful for people if we just talk about it more. You know, when Lauren was saying that some of the students come here and they don't really have a handle on their disability, I mean, that might be a systemic thing that was going on where, you know, people didn't really want to talk to them about it, or, didn't, you know, they they felt like they might not be able to handle it, or they didn't want them to feel bad, or those kind of things. Whereas students who come with a really strong handle on their disability and their needs, actually, tend to, you know, have a little bit more of a wider open door for success because um, they kind of know, you know, what works um, and what's best for them. And and so, you know, I think that also comes from something that's cool that's happened with this podcast is some of our guests have, without us knowing when we invited them, they have self-revealed disabilities of their own. And I think we need to have conversations like that, you know, and and asking for help and asking for support, you know, like I'm team have a therapist for life, Um, you know, always have a therapist, Um, always have a marriage therapist, you know, always have a family therapist, you know, Um, you know, and a lot of people are in the field I'm in and they are therapists, but they don't, they don't like feel like they, they need therapy. But I think that like, you know, people need to take care of themselves and to get whatever supports they need to be their best version of themselves. and so um you know I think that that's that can help with stigma a lot too and, and help with people not having shame around stuff we just should be talking about it
0: um so we have to wrap up because our yes. work does <laughs> go on unfortunately um boo I had an extra question I wanted to ask but it's okay um so our final just... question limit uh, limit us to like 10 seconds we <laughs> yeah. do it. yes ten, okay 10 seconds um Our final question is, what is the takeaway um, from this conversation, and has anything changed about the way you feel as either a person with a disability or an ally about disability stigma? And the last part is, what is your favorite food dish? (laughs)
3: Okay. Oh, my gosh. Um, I would say, taking away from this conversation, you know, we don't often get to pause and talk about kind of where we came from and where we want to go, so that's... Always helpful to just reflect back on that as an office because we don't get to do that as a team. Um, I forgot one of the questions that you asked, so I'm gonna skip over it. And then, cause I go right to food, as we all know. Um, my favorite okay. dish, I can't answer, but I would say my favorite part of the world would be South America, Caribbean. I love spice, I love flavor, I love sauces. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would go with.
0: Brandon, 10 seconds. Take away, uh, uh, change.
2: The the takeaway is, is definitely has been nice hearing more about folks' background. It's uh, you know, we've worked each other for years and years and years and I've learned some new things. So that, that, <laughs> that was really nice. And oh god, dish on the spot. Um I mean it's gonna be boring, but I good chicken wings. gluten I, I,
3: Brandon, gluten, gluten. Anything with
2: gluten. Glut, yes, <laughs> no, thank you. Anything with gluten, that that'll be my answer. So yep, my uh have some dietary restrictions at home, so I get gluten when I can. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Well, in the essence of time, thank you all so much for being a part of today's podcast. We really, really appreciate it. A round of applause.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much,
1: guys. All right.